Are you guys encouraged by this? I was listening to a worship or watching one on YouTube this morning and uh, like this morning here, weeping, thinking, you know, our future is to be around the throne of Jesus Christ in heaven. We'll be doing just this kind of thing. I read a book years ago, an English professor had visited mega churches around the country and he was convinced that among other reasons, people, Christians or non-Christians, were going to these very, very large venues with uh, great music because they were seeking a transcendent experience. But you know, I thought, I'm okay with that. And we, there should be a sense when we meet here on Sunday morning, especially certainly on Resurrection Sunday, where there's a sense of transcendence, where we catch a view that life is more than the chairs we're sitting on, the place we occupy in the moment, that our future is gloriously with Christ. Thinking of Revelation 4 and 5, that's your future. If you don't like to worship, you've got a long eternity coming if you're a believer. Because you're going to be around the throne of God, seeing Jesus face to face and worshiping in His presence. So, I hope you're as encouraged this morning as I am. You know, this is that singular day in the year in which we think, we talk, we pray, we sing about the resurrection. And that does tend to be a little different than what might be normal for us. If you think about the conversations we have with others or with each other, or the songs we sing, don't we tend to emphasize Jesus' death on the cross? We say Jesus died for our sins. And that's a big deal. And there's a reason that we do that, isn't there? Jesus' death on the cross, that's our forgiveness. If we don't have that all-sufficient atoning sacrifice, that Lamb of God, adequate to die and atone, which means to cover our sins, we're in trouble. Resurrection's nothing if we haven't had sins covered and forgiven. And so, in the crucifixion, the just one, Jesus, dies for you and me. The unjust ones goes to the grave for us, atones, covers over all our sins so that God really can forgive us. That we can stand before a holy, righteous God without any fault. But it's Jesus' resurrection that was proof that sins had been forgiven. If Jesus had remained in the grave, there'd be a question mark, would there not? Are we good or not? He died. We, we were told He's the adequate atoning sacrifice, but we're not sure because He's still dead. The resurrection is proof positive that Jesus' death, payment on the cross, was adequate. Romans 4, verse 25 says it this way, He who was delivered over because of our transgressions, that's Jesus' death on the cross, delivered over for our transgressions, was raised because of our justification. Was raised because of our justification, His resurrection. Jesus' resurrection proved that sins were atoned for. Think of it this way. If my father took me downtown to the bank because I've overdrawn my account, and he says, Junior, wait out here for me. I'm going to go in and I'm going to put some money in your account. That negative ledger is going to be positive. Now, I know my dad. I know my dad loves me. I know he's good for his word. He goes into the bank. But I can't see this transaction, can I? So dad goes into the bank, and I wait outside, and dad comes back out. And in his hand, there's a deposit slip. Now, I couldn't see what happened in the bank, but when dad comes out with that deposit slip, I know something, don't I? Proof positive. I've seen it with my eyes. When dad comes out with the deposit slip, it tells me my account that was deficit, that was negative, is now positive, and here's the proof. And guys, Jesus' resurrection is the deposit slip. 
when we think of Jesus' death and resurrection on one hand, it is this kind of banking ledger sheet. We're deficit. We've got an issue. And we can't pay that debt. And Jesus comes in on the cross, atones for our sins. He pays the debt we could never pay. And He credits our account. And Jesus' resurrection is proof positive, just like Dad coming out with that deposit slip. Junior, you're okay. You were deficit, but you're positive now. There's credit in your account. Now, that's a good thing. If that's all we had, that'd be good. But there's another aspect of the resurrection that I want to touch on and actually focus on this morning. And it has to do with, with power. With sheer power. In Romans 1, verse 4, Paul says, Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus was declared. It's not as if it was in question, but His resurrection was declaration of the fact that He was who He claimed to be, the Son of God. When He rose from the dead, He was exercising power over the one thing in this life and in our experience. We have absolutely no power over. You know what that is. That's death, isn't it? You know, if you look what we can accomplish with science and medicine, it's crazy. It's impressive. I mean, it's mind-blowing, right? Search space, you know, we can heal things that used to take you early. Our, our life expectancy is higher. There's all kinds of great things. But at the end of the day, this is still the thing. You're going to die. And I'm going to die. Unless Jesus comes first and calls us up, we're going to die. And you can't stop that. You and I have absolutely no power over the one thing that ultimately absolutely matters, and that's death. And that's an issue. And if Jesus doesn't have power over death, you and I are still in trouble. And thankfully, the resurrection is proof that He does. You know, when our first parents sinned back in the garden, God had warned them, if you disobey Me, you'll die. Now, I have no doubt they didn't know all the implications for that. All the sin, all the travesty, all the murders, all the wars, all your sins and mine, every one of them sprang from that first sin. They had no clue, did they? What's sin? What's death? Not sure, not good. God says don't do it, but we do anyway. And from then on, Scripture's clear, Satan and death have ruled this world and your life and mine and every other human being's ever since. No question about this. Satan and sin reign like an evil king and his wicked henchmen. Romans 5, verse 14, 17, and 21. Three times Paul says the same thing in case we're in doubt. Death reigned. Death reigned. Death reigned. And the word in the Greek there is one we typically also translate king. Death is king. Death is the power over this earth. Death is the power over your life and mine ultimately. Death reigned, death reigned, and death reigned. And in His resurrection, Jesus shows us that in sheer power, He overpowers Satan and sin and death. Atones for sin, but overpowers death. Claims power over the one thing we need power over, death itself. Hebrews 2.14 says this, Through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, you know the devil didn't know when Satan enters Judas and he's helping this thing along, isn't he? God's got a plan, but Satan's got his plan too. He doesn't know that God's using his plan for his greater plan and purpose that 
Satan in getting Jesus, helping Jesus, as it were, to the cross is actually advancing God's plan to destroy death itself through Jesus' own death. Jesus dies to destroy death and destroy its power. Romans 6 verse 9 says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. Death no longer has dominion over Him. The word used there is the word we typically translate Lord, Kyrie. Death isn't Lord over Jesus. When Jesus is in the ground, in the grave, it looks like death rules. Death rules over Jesus. But in the resurrection, it says Jesus rules. Jesus reigns. Last, in Revelation 1.18, Jesus speaking to John says, I died, I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now, in Scripture, keys are always symbolic of authority and power to act in a certain way or a certain sphere. So Jesus says, by power, the power of my resurrection, by right of conquest, I own death and the grave. They're mine. I rule over them. Amen, sister. <laughs> Jesus says, I'm the king who's conquered the other king that ruled. And it's through sheer power, atonement's over, but now there's this whole thing about who's going to rule and reign. Sin's covered, we're glad, but Jesus rises from the dead to say, by right of conquest, by sheer power and force, I've conquered death, and I own death, and I own the grave. You know, if we live with any fear of death, you need to know Jesus. He's the victor over death. If you trust Jesus, if you know Him, you need never fear death. Because you know who owns it. You know whose power you live in, and whose place and whose home you're going to be with forever. 1 Corinthians 15, great passage on resurrection in the future, much of which we will not go into this morning, but that passage tells us that there's a future time, a future day in which death itself dies. John Donne wrote a famous poem about this, Death Shall Die. You know, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new heaven and new earth, there's no death element. We don't know what that will look like. We have no idea. There will be no element of death in the new heavens and new earth. So we've got a promise for the future. One day death dies, new heaven and new earth, you're there, resurrection body, glorious, all the tears are wiped away, we're good, we say, we'll take that. Reserve a spot for me, Lord. Sign me up. I'm there. That would be good. And we could live through life with that future promise that would sort of light the way for us forward, light a light at the end of the tunnel, we'd be good with that. But God has done much more for us than that future promise related to power to live here and now. Romans 8.11 says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. This sound, Let me two things about this. It sounds propositional like it's an if. Paul says if. If you're a Christian, this isn't if. This is since. This is since. Okay, Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Paul's already said that in Romans 8, verse 9. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. Okay, If you've trusted in Christ, if you've accepted Jesus' offer of forgiveness, you're a Christian. 
And Ephesians 1 says the Holy Spirit Himself has stamped you so that you know He owns you. You're not your own anymore. He owns you. Romans here, Paul says the Spirit is in us now. Now, in the context here, he's saying that just as Christ rose from the dead, the Spirit will give life, eternal life, immortal life to these mortal bodies in the future. That's like 1 Corinthians 15. But we want to focus on the front end. If you have the Spirit, since you have the Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, you have the power of resurrection in you right now. You have resurrection power in you right now by the presence of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, if you look in different Scriptures in the New Testament, you'll see the Father claims He raised Jesus from the dead. The Son says He raises Himself from the dead. And the Spirit says He raises Jesus from the dead. And I'm okay with that. There's a trinity, right? We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And they can do things individually and they do things in concert. Well, here, Paul says he credits the resurrection of Jesus to the Spirit. And then he tells us that the Spirit, that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power in you and me and in every believer. You have the power that raised Jesus from the dead in you as a believer in Jesus Christ. You have power to live now. It's not just a promise for the future. It's not just a future resurrection, glorious as that will be. It's power to live here, today, now. And guys, we need power. We need power related to our own sin. We need power related to death. Empowerment is a key term today in politics and social circles. We want people to be empowered. So we want the poor to be empowered. And I want women to be empowered, for sure. And I want the disenfranchised and the minorities, I want everybody to be empowered. This is the political stump speech, isn't it? Oh yeah, I want power for you. What do we mean by that? Is that, I'm mocking a little bit, sorry, can't help it. Um, but we're really saying we don't want people kept down from an ability to live life well, right? We don't want people sort of shackled into some place they may have started in life. We want them to be free to have opportunities to work and labor and make something of their life. And I'm all for that. So when we talk about empowerment in that sense, I'm teasing a little bit, but that's serious and it's important. We're glad for that. But guys, that kind of power, it's chump change. It's, it's almost meaningless for what it's worth. It's almost meaningless in the big picture. This is why. Go back a week. If you were here last week, we talked about uh, Palm Sunday, didn't we? A little bit. And you've got, it's, it's frankly for me, it's one of the, my favorite passages in Scripture, this, this event of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. It's a highlight of the Bible for me. Palm Sunday. So Jesus rides in. And it's glorious, isn't it? Because He's accepted by Jerusalem. He's hailed as their King on the hosannas that the crowds are crying out. The palm branches in the road. He's on the little donkey. He's fulfilling Zechariah 9.9. Here's your King, humble and seated on a donkey. And the city praises Him. Now, in that moment on Palm Sunday, does He not look like He's got great political power? He's the man. On that day, it would be like uh, election day, right? I win. I'm the man. Jesus is the man, hailed, brought in. He's the king. We, we love him. We follow him. But then you remember what we said. Well, wow, how long did that last? How transient was that political, social power and influence? Pretty transient. Because by Friday, 
The crowds are saying, crucify him. We do that to politicians too today, don't we? How transient is that political power really? Really transient. Looks very impressive in the moment. Really transient otherwise. Political power looks impressive. You know this though. Political power can't change one human heart. And legislation can't change one human heart. And guys, I'm all for good laws. I'm there. I'm with you. The laws curb us as a culture. We say we want to encourage some things. We want to discourage others. Laws have that ability to sort of inform us in the public arena. That's a good thing. But there's no law, there's no piece of legislation, and there's no politician who's ever ruled in the history of the world that can change one human heart. In the big picture, the Gospel, the message about Christ, and the power of the Spirit has been transforming people for 2,000 years. And guys, you know, once in a while we get a view of our own sin. God's kind, isn't He? He doesn't show us too much of that at a time. Because it overwhelms us. But He shows us our sin. And, and you and I, what do we do about that? We need, we need some power, don't we? We don't need just sins forgiven. That's heaven. That's good. But we want to have power to live victoriously over our own sin, don't we? And the Gospel and the power of the Spirit in the Gospel transforms people like you and I. And it liberates us. That power liberates us to live in a way that pleases Christ, blesses us and others. Financial power is a big deal. We talk about economics because, because finances are another form of power, aren't they? Very significantly so. If you and I want to do something, money is usually the power by which we do it. Economics are an important venue, if you will, for power and the ability to do things. But all the money in the world can't help you overcome temptation. Matter of fact, you know, the more money you have, you may find the more open you are to temptation. Financial power cannot help you and I overcome sin and temptation. It cannot happen. It doesn't work that way. You can't buy that kind of power. It doesn't exist on the free market. You know, we marvel at the power of the sun. This is a little different. Uh, it's massive. The sun, you know, it's a medium-sized star, but to us it's massive. You know, it's hydrogen and helium and it's burning. It's a burning ball of fire. And all life on earth comes from the power of the sun. If you took the sun away, there'd be no life. Zero on planet earth. But what's going to happen to that sun? That medium-sized star given enough time? Do you know what it's going to do? It's going to burn out. All the energy of the hydrogen and the helium is going to burn out. And you know what it will do? It will collapse in on itself. And it will become a dark spot in the darker sky. That's what's going to happen to the sun. So think of it this way. You have within you more power than the power of the sun. No kidding. You have greater power in you than the power of the sun. Because the power in you will never end. It doesn't matter how long. If you say it takes a star a billion years to end, to live its life and die, or 10 billion, do you know what 10 billion is compared to eternity? It's hard to see. It's a little speck. The power at work in you and I as believers is more powerful than the power of the sun because it goes on forever. Never end. Hebrews 7.16, speaking about Jesus and His high priesthood replacing the priesthood of Levi says 
He has become a priest by the power of an indestructible life. If Christ is in you through faith, you have the power of an indestructible life in you. You'll live longer than the sun. You have inherently more power than the sun. Military power. You know, there's a lot of military action going on in the world today. You know, the early church rose up under the might of the Roman power. And the, Ro- the Romans, they did a lot of things well. And they were the military guys on the block. But you know what? Under the greatest military power in the world, what happened over a couple of centuries? Because at the first, right, Rome's putting down those Christians, that Jewish sect. They're putting them down. And they're crucifying and they're persecuting them. But you give it a few hundred years and what happens? Rome becomes the center of the recognized church through the world. The power of the Gospel by the Holy Spirit was greater than the military might of Rome. When we're talking about power, guys, there's no greater power on earth than the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. doesn't exist. I hope you feel like I do, that I need power. I just need power to live well, to avoid my sinful tendencies. And in 2 Peter 1, verse 3, Peter said, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. The divine power of Christ, communicated through the truth of His Word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is the power you and I need today to live well. To not just wait for heaven and wait for that time we're in Christ's presence, but to be empowered today to live life well. To have Christ's victory in our life today. You know, most of us, especially here on Resurrection Sunday, aren't concerned about the historicity of the resurrection. Though we've got great arguments. If you have any questions about the historic nature of the resurrection, any one of us would be glad to talk to you. But we typically are worried or concerned about things like bills and our kids. Some of us are worried, wondering if we'll ever get married. Others of us, of course, are anxious about the marriages we're in, right? We need, we need power for living. God means for the resurrection of Jesus to be more than something we celebrate once a year or once a month at the Lord's table. He means us to see in Jesus' resurrection the same power He's given to us in order to live life now. And not just in the daily things that are so daily, but perhaps especially in your times of suffering or confusion. Does God have power adequate for you to get through those times well? And He does. The resurrection is about power. Jesus' resurrection is our justification And Jesus' power over death is our power for life. The words from In Christ Alone, that last song we just sang, the power of Christ in me, no power of hell can pluck me from His hand. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. It is about power at the end of the day. And you and I, it's good to know, we need to know that our sins are covered, they're atoned for, they're forgiven. That's Jesus' death on the cross. But we need power for living so that we can get through these times before the fullness of the promise of resurrection and eternity in Jesus' glorious presence occurs. We need power for living now. And guys, this is it. 
We need to be convinced of this. And the thing that connects this with you and me is faith. Isn't it? You know, if, if my dad goes in and puts a million dollars in that bank account for me and I don't know it's there, I don't spend it. We need to know that we have power. We lay hold of the resurrection power God's given us by His Spirit. We do that by faith. We take God at His Word. We believe Him. And guys, we're tempted. And we're tempted to live small, pitiful lives. Just we, we look at ourselves, our assets, our temptations, our liabilities. We say, we're not much. I want to be more, but I'm not. But listen. The power of Christ in one Christian can turn the world upside down. And the power of Christ in you and me is adequate to say no to our sins. When we sin, and we will. John's clear on that in 1 John. We'll sin. Guys, it's not for lack of power. It's for lack of will. Because we've got the power not to sin. We've got to be convinced of that. And one of the great reminders for you and I today is that in Jesus' once-for-all resurrection from the grave, He was giving us that same resurrection power to live for Him here and now. So do me a favor. When you go out from here today, do yourself a favor. Today or tomorrow, remind yourself that the power of Christ, the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, that conquered the power of death that ruled on this earth, that same power by virtue of you having the Holy Spirit is in you today. And it's in you tomorrow. And by faith we lay hold of that. The power of Christ. His resurrection power in us. Father, uh, You've done what we could not do for ourselves. You've covered our sins in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus and You've given us power in life over death. Father, would you help us glorify your son Jesus? Would you help us say amen to what he's done for us by living the victorious lives here and now he's called us to? Father, for your future promise of resurrection and to see you gloriously in the future, to be around the throne of Jesus, worshiping with the saints of all the ages, we thank you for that. We say amen, come Lord Jesus. But Father, we ask you to give us the, the exercise of that power today God, might you empower your church to glorify Jesus today.